0: Thank you very much, John and the worship team. Um, I often think after worship like this and after the testimonies that we've had, um, mostly anybody can come up and preach a sermon, um, but I'm the fortunate one today, so um, so sorry for you. Um, just to start off with, I assume that many of you were in church last, uh, last Sunday when, when Mark prayed, and what I want to do today in a slightly different way is to actually give you another arrow in your quiver to love out. Um, my sermon might be slightly more academic. Unfortunately, at heart, uh, I'm an academic, so I've, I've prepared slides for us um, that you can look at and make a few notes. But I want to encourage you. Obviously, those of you on cell groups will get the opportunity um, on Wednesday or Thursday night next week to discuss this further. This is a uh, this is not something that's a once-off. I'm going to say a few things that you might not necessarily agree with, and I would challenge you to listen to that and to go and examine it. I'm going to give you heaps and heaps of uh, Scripture verses. I don't, um, I don't uh, prepare my own thoughts here. I've really delved deep into Scripture, and I want to ask you to go and digest what I've said. Don't just accept what I've said. Go and digest it and discuss it next week. I want you to turn to Titus 3 so long, we'll um, read from the first, uh, first verse. Father, as we get to together this morning, Father, I'm excited for this opportunity to share your word, Father, to delve deeper into the wisdom of your knowledge and of knowing you. Father, I want to pray that your Holy Spirit will move amongst us, Father, that you'll open our spiritual eyes, Father, that people won't look at me, but that they'll see you. Father, I want to pray that you'll give us understanding, that you challenge us, Father, that we don't just understand what we hear today, Father, but that we will we'll go and we will apply this. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. I read from Titus 3. Remind them. Um, now, I'll give a little bit of background, but this is now Paul writing to Titus, and the them that he refers to is actually the members of Titus' congregation in Crete. So, I am saying to you, remind them I think I should start off, first of all, to say that this piece of Scripture is just so rich in what it's saying that I'm going to limit myself to one word in this whole piece of Scripture, namely the word kindness. Um, I think uh, we can probably preach for a few months on this topic um, or this piece of Scripture, but um, let's just zoom in on something specifically. Uh, just a little bit of background as we start. Now, this letter to Titus and the, the preceding two letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy, were all written by Paul about 60, 60 years after Christ while he was under house arrest in Rome. Um, now, uh, Timothy was was um, running a church in Ephesus, and then um, young Titus was in Crete. Um, now, Crete wasn't an easy place, not for a Christian and probably not for a, for a non-Christian either. Um, you know that it's quite funny in Titus 1 where Paul says that these Cretans, um, they, even, um, they even agree amongst themselves that they lie as evil beasts and lazy gluttons. And that's the type of character that the people in Crete had. But funnily enough, um, Crete actually had a lot of people who professed to know Christ and to have a, rela- a relationship with God. But a quick examination of their lives would have just proven otherwise. And it's very interesting the, the uh, correlation we can draw between South Africa today and Crete in those days because you know statistically um, in South Africa, and I'm not completely sure about the percentage, but it's very close to 90% of South Africans profess to be Christians. But if you look around you, um, you don't really see it. I mean, there's just no good works to prove that these people are actually Christian. And I think in South Africa today, and in East London today, and maybe in our church today, we've got a lot of Christians who are in neutral. They're not really bad. They haven't been associated with any massive corruption case. But you really can't see any good coming out of their lifestyle either. You don't see them sharing the gospel. You don't see them testifying about Jesus Christ. So they're there, but they're just there. And I think this was what what Paul tried to encourage Titus about his congregation in Crete, is to get these people moving, to say to them, listen, you have been saved now. So what now? Where are the good works? What is the outflowing of your salvation in Jesus Christ? And this is what we want to discuss today too. So I'm going to talk to you today about kindness but specifically Christian kindness, and I want to say that over and over and over again. There's a worldly type of kindness that's quite kind, but it's not a Christian kindness. And I want to discuss this with you today. I'm going to to go through um, four main points. When I started preparing this sermon, uh, I think it's natural for all of us to try and, and take the easy topic in the easy way. And I thought, well, to convince a Christian to be kind, <laughs> I mean... How difficult could that be? You look at Galatians 5.22, and you see that it's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. So I can't see one of you today putting up your hand and say, I disagree, a Christian should be kind. But then I started researching this topic, and it became quite complicated. And that's what I actually want to share with you today. I don't just want to prove from Scripture that Christians are called to be kind. I'm also going to tell you that kindness... Is not an absolute virtue, and I'll prove that to you. And I'm going to say to you that kindness and love is not the same thing. They share characteristics, but they're distinctly different. And then lastly, I'm going to show to you that when it comes to Christian kindness, the place that forgiveness um, plays in kindness, and Christian kindness specifically, is massive. And you cannot talk about kindness without talking about forgiveness. And um, it's just the way that God works. But I listened, I look at the worship um, and the words that we've sung today, and it's basically just a confirmation of this sermon. I'm going to start off by proving to you. I want to ask you the question, does the fact that God showed kindness to us, does that necessarily mean that we should show kindness to other people too? And I think the strongest proof we can find in Scripture That we need to extend God's love and kindness to other people is in Ephesians 4.32, where it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And I want to tell you immediately, look at the connection between kindness and forgiveness right there in Ephesians 4. Job 6 verse 14 also makes a strong case for Christians to be kind to one another when it says, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. And I think then, just lastly on this point, we must remember the general instruction for every single Christian that we need to be imitators of Christ. And Christ showed kindness in Scripture. I'll give you all the examples, and we are expected to to imitate that. Jesus himself said in, um, well, Paul um, said in Ephesians 5, uh, 5 verse 1, therefore be imitators of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And it's one of the scariest verses for me as a parent, because you know what God expects from you? He expects from you to say, Ian, Suzanne, look at me. Do what I do as I do what Christ does. And that's the bar that's been set for us. And I think it's fair to say that When we imitate Christ, we give our best testimony that we could ever do. I don't know how many of you um, knew about uh, Christopher Nolan, but he was an Irish poet and writer. Um, He's um, since passed away, but he suffered severe hypoxia at birth, and he was was born with uh, cerebral palsy and muteness. And he was actually one of the first people um, as a writer who started um, using a... um, a device that um, made his eyes um, activate a keyboard so that he could type. And he wrote a book um, under the eye of the clock that was really his autobiography. And he wrote this, um, that's just so beautiful. Now this is, um, and I actually still don't know whether he was a Christian or not, but this was how he described his interaction with Christians that showed kindness to him. He said it was at moments such as these That I recognized the face of God in human form. It glimmered in their kindness to me, it glowed in its keenness, it hinted at their caring, and indeed it caressed in their gaze. And I think it's testimonies like this that draw people to God. I think whenever we read a book or watch a movie where there's this outpouring of kindness, it really touches a nerve. And uh, one of the movies that I've watched recently that, um, that did this to me was, was the movie Wonder. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it was based on a book um, uh, written by R.J. Palacio. And it's about this boy um, and the, basically the experience of the whole family, this boy with a massive facial deformity and how he managed and the experiences of kindness uh, through his life. And um, there was this one teacher that would give a precept to his children once a month. And the one precept that that really spoke to me was this one. Um, he said, when given the choice between being right and being kind, choose kind. And it just it stuck with me. And I, I asked myself, but but is this is this a Christian concept? Is it true that you should put kindness above being right? Because Proverbs 21, 21 says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. And shouldn't you do both? And then, um, as I was preparing, and separate from the sermon that I prepared on my daily reading, I was reading um, John 8. <laughs> and you can go and read it yourself. It's uh, it's this um situation where where Jesus was teaching at the Mount of Olives and the scribes and the Pharisees came to him with this woman that was caught in adultery and they said to him Jesus this woman was caught in adultery according to the law of Moses she must be stoned to death and probably one of them gave Jesus a stone and they waited and that's exactly what it was. Jesus was confronted between the choice of being right or being kind. He knew that they were right. That was the law of Moses. She deserved to be stoned to death. And Jesus himself chose to extend kindness to her. And I will get back to this uh, point later because that's where my, my quote comes in that kindness is not an absolute virtue. I just want to look at, at the pattern of, of kindness that we see in Scripture. Um, I think it's important, and that's why I try and make the distinction between Christian kindness and worldly kindness. That if we want to extend Christian kindness, our criteria should be Scripture. And I'm going to point out to you two distinct um, patterns of kindness that we see in Scripture. Now, the first one you see in Titus 3, um, Paul goes through a lot of effort to describe how we used to be. And then the goodness and the loving kindness of God appeared to us. Now, I'm not going to expose that too much, but that, in effect, describes the salvation experience. It describes Jesus Christ coming to take away our sin. It was the goodness and the loving kindness of God that, ex- that um, appeared to us. And then he describes how we became afterwards. So there was a before and an after with an event in the middle. And that event is one of the um, biggest Patterns of kindness in Scripture from God. The forgiveness of our sins. The forgiveness of our sins through the loving kindness and goodness of God is the first pattern that we want to emulate. Ephesians 4.32 that I've already read says that so well. It says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you, that's the example, that's the type of kindness we need to extend, is the same kindness that was extended to us. And this forgiveness that we've received from God, specifically of our sin, was not because of, because of works done in our own righteousness, but according to His mercy. So put that in, in the back of your mind, we're going to get back to that. The second pattern of kindness in Scripture we see in Ephesians 5 verse 2 where it says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So when love expresses itself in kindness, the model is the love that Jesus Christ has for us. That's the type of love and kindness we want to emulate as Christians. So now these two patterns of kindness, how do... We apply that to our own lives. How does that, what does that teach us about how we extend kindness to other people? And I'm going to borrow a little bit from, uh, from Tim Keller. Um, in this section, he gave us four examples of what God's forgiveness of sin means to us and how we can extend that through our kindness to other people. The first point is God's forgiveness of sin. Um, God takes sin seriously. And so should we. And forgiving in kindness is not flippancy towards sin. It cost God His own Son when He forgave our sin. God sees sin, He names it, and then He covers it. And that's what we should do today. If you are expected to forgive somebody else in kindness, you don't say to that person, don't worry, it's not important. You don't say to this person, don't worry, I didn't see anything. You actually say earnestly and warmly, I choose to forgive you, and I forget this. The second point that's very important is that God's forgiveness deals with a real settling of accounts, and so should ours. I'm going to say to you today that every single sin that has ever been committed in this world will get punished, either in hell or at the cross. Someone always pays. And I think when kindness calls us to forgive somebody else, we can actually find security in God's holiness. We are sustained by His holiness. That wrong that has been committed to us and that we are expected to forgive in kindness will get punished. If the person that's committed that wrong against us in the end choose to accept Christ, then that sin will also be nailed to the cross when the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. But if the person that committed that wrong against you choose not to accept Christ, then that will be one of the sins that you will pay for one day in hell. And in neither case should we fear to forgive somebody as if there will be no settling of accounts. God's forgiveness, as I've said already, was costly, and so is ours. It cost God His Son. If you choose to forgive somebody in kindness, it will cost you. It will cost you the sweet taste of revenge. It will cost you the pleasure of savoring a grudge, and it will cost you the pride of superiority. But it must cost you something. And lastly, I want to say to you that God's forgiveness is real, and so should ours be too. When God forgives us, we are really restored. God doesn't keep our sin in the back of His mind to bring up again one day. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. And we will fall short of this divine pattern if we choose to forgive somebody, But in the back of our minds, we keep it for possible future future retribution. Coming to the second um, pattern of kindness that we see, namely the love of Christ, I want to say to you that Christ's love for us is undeserved, so we shouldn't insist on people earning our love or our forgiveness or our kindness. Jesus said in Luke 6.35, love your enemies and do good, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the, uns- and the selfish. And these are the people that we need to extend our kindness to. None of us has ever qualified to be loved by God and loved by Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't wait until people deserve our love or our kindness. Christ's love for us is holy, and our love towards other people should be holy too. We must remember that the love of Christ aims at the holiness of his church. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her and present her to himself in glory, that she might be holy and without blemish. And therefore, when we choose to extend Christian kindness to people, we must avoid expressions of love and kindness that's driven by mere sentiment and emotion. Love aims at the holiness of a man and a woman, and not at their approval or their happiness. I think it's important for us to realize that Christian kindness is not a strategy to avoid conflict. It goes much deeper than this. It's patterned on the love of Christ, and it aims to promote holiness. I've said this already, but I'm going to say it again. The love of Christ for us was sacrificial and self-denying, and so should ours be. The reward that you get when you choose to forgive somebody, or when you choose to be kind to somebody, might not be immediate. It will cost you something at the start. You will sacrifice something for a greater purpose. So, let's start with the curveballs. I think we should all agree now that there is a call for Christian kindness, that Scripture is full of uh, examples of challenging us to exhibit kindness to other people. And I think we can agree that this type of kindness we need to model on Christ. But we all live in the real life. Some of us, maybe not all of us, but some of us Sometimes I have to try and divorce a child from Fortnite and you lose your cool. The kindness goes out. Some of us sit in the tea room during the day and you have to listen to somebody sharing untruths about the gospel or about Christ. Sometimes you sit in a, in a tea room where people are bashing the church of Christ, his bride. Repeatedly and incessantly, and I'm asking myself, did Jesus ever lose it? Was there ever a point where he would say to himself, this far and no further? And I invite you to go and read Mark 3:5. 5. It describes the scene where Jesus looks at the Pharisees around him with anger. And I'm asking you, did Jesus always extend kindness to the Pharisees? Is it kind to say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, you are like whitewashed tombs? And was it kind when he made a, a whip of cords and he overturned people's tables in the temple and he chased them out of his father's house? And I can say you today, with all the cultural sensitivity that we have and with all the basic human rights, I've said to my children in the past, you can think that, but don't say it. And definitely don't do it. And here Jesus comes, and he speaks his mind. And he does what we would probably say to our children, don't do this. Don't do this. Hold yourself in. And I think the answer for me lies in Romans 11, verse 22, that says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. And I feel fairly confident today to say to you, kindness is not an absolute virtue. And I want to say to you, the extent of Christian kindness is not precise. You need the Holy Spirit to lead you. When Paul says in Ephesians 4.26 that we should be angry, but not sin. He implies that there's a place for righteous anger. And we know this is true. We can't uh, fake our Christianity. We can't fake real life. We know that every single one of us in this uh, sanctuary sometimes loses it. And I want to say to you, if you haven't been in that situation, you will get into it. You might be exposed to a situation where, where the teachings of Christ is disobeyed, where the glory of God is diminished, or where the good of the church is in jeopardy. And if I look back at my years as an elder in this church, I can tell you I've experienced all of this. And I've dropped the ball probably at every single one of these incidents. But you need the leading of the Holy Spirit to say to yourself, in this situation, do I give vent to my anger because of the cause of God's Glory is at stake, or will I sacrifice this anger of myself and extend kindness because there's too much of self in this anger? This uh, Christian kindness may be wider or narrower than what we think. I can't give you all the answers, but the Holy Spirit needs to lead you in every single situation. The next thing I want to say to you is that kindness is an aspect of love, but it's distinctly different from love. Love, which which wills what's best for the other person, might sometimes decide to not take away all suffering. Whereas kindness generally seeks to alleviate suffering and negativity. And I think uh, for the parents amongst us, we can understand that. We know that love sometimes needs suffering to bring about holiness. There's a big, big salvational aspect in suffering. And my own parents disciplined myself out of love. And I grew up in the years where uh, we really got disciplined. And had they merely been kind to me, I probably would have been ill-disciplined and arrogant and ill-equipped for love. And I think the other thing about suffering that we need to remember is that it builds character. And I can't help to think sometimes when I look over the congregation and I... Maybe I should maybe I should mention a few names. I will I'll look at Michelle or I look at Chalky or I look at, at Liz... I realized this thing that I've read once that says suffering and suffering a lot is like being able to speak a lot of different languages. It gives you access to many more people. And we've experienced it practically. And all of you that have suffered, I've um, never really suffered in my life. And while my family's not here, I can mention that, but we um, suffered infertility and we ended up adopting two children and the opportunities... That I have had because of my experience of adoption and infertility is invaluable. And I've been able to share the gospel with so many people because of something that at one point in our life was a big heartache. But that's the way that Jesus uses suffering. I'm um, actually getting to my last point, which is the source of Christian kindness. I think um, it's fairly. Obvious to all of us that this is not something that we can achieve out of ourselves. And if we look back at Titus 3 again, we can see, as I've described, that this salvation experience stands central between the old self and the new person that we've become. This loving kindness and goodness that God extended to us, which in effect is Jesus Christ that has forgiven our sins and that saved us, that's central. And I want to say to you, um, if you're not at that place yet, that is step number one. There is absolutely no way to extend this type of Christian kindness if you haven't, haven't had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting when you look at Ephesians 4.31, where Paul says, Let all bitterness be put away. It basically says, let all bitterness, slander, etc. be taken away from you. And I think it, it hints that this is a passive verb. It shows that the ability to change our lives doesn't come from within ourselves. There must be some person or some force that effects this change. And I think you can have a superficial type of kindness without getting rid of that anger in your heart. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not Christian kindness. Galatians 5.22 that I've referred to right at the start says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if the Spirit of God doesn't come into your life, into your heart, and does this life-changing thing, there is no hope. But this doesn't answer the question fully yet, because how do we appropriate that power of the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that is faith. The Holy Spirit flows in the channels of faith, and that's what is expected from us, It's the faith to believe. Paul says in Galatians 3 2 to 3, and maybe just before I say that, um, I'm now making assumptions, but I assume that the majority of us have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and that we some distance on this road of sanctification. So for those of us that that applies to, I'm reading to you Galatians 3 verse 2, where Paul says, "'Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law "'or by hearing by faith? "'Are you so foolish, having begun with the Spirit, "'are you now ending with the flesh?' And we should all shout, no, no, no. But in my Christian walk, I've experienced this. I've relied heavily on the Holy Spirit at my conversion and in my early days of Christianhood to pluck up the courage to testify. But now I've become mature. And I've got a heap of texts in the back of my mind that I can quote. And often it happens to us on our road of sanctification, that we get to a place where we rely less and less and less on the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you all with that today, that if you don't go back to your first love and your first power, this type of Christian kindness, you cannot expect to generate out of yourself. I want to say to you today that if this is the first time that... um, that you have the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ in your life, you must do it. That is point number one. If you haven't experienced that loving kindness and goodness of God and the experience of accepting Jesus Christ in your life, you cannot go any further. That's first step. And if that's you today and you're going to make that step, you're going to see the most dramatic change in your life right here and today. For the rest of us, The ones who are traveling on that road of sanctification, I want to remind you of three things today, three things that you know very well and that you would have realized at your conversion, but that you need to be reminded of again. I want to say to you, you must believe that Christ died in your place. The summary for this is from Ephesians 4.31, but it says, Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God now these sentences are so real and it's actually so it's so awful but so wonderful if you think about it that the fragrance of Jesus dying on the cross was pleasant in God's nostrils that's what it says and the fact that he was prepared to sacrifice himself for us even though we went through the pain and suffering, was a beautiful thing for God. And if we believe that, that is the power of God unto our sanctification and the greatest uprooting of unkindness in our own lives. Secondly, we must believe that God has forgiven all our sins. We can only forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You must believe that you have been forgiven of all your sins. You must believe that in Jesus Christ you have found freedom. In Jesus Christ you have been forgiven of all the sins you have ever committed and all the sins that you will ever commit. You have to know that every slap in the face of God has been forgiven freely by Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, if you believe this, it makes you humble. It makes you lowly. And it makes you so tender and kind. And finally, we must believe that we are loved by God. We need to be imitators of God as loved children. And I want to say to you, child of God, you are loved by God in a way that none of us can understand. But if you grasp that concept, you will behold a miracle in your life which is the Holy Spirit's outworking in your life and the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing from your own life. Let us pray together. Father, I don't know what goes on in the hearts and the minds of these people sitting in front of me. Father, but I want to pray for them and I want to pray two things today. Father, I want to pray that they will really, really understand the forgiveness of Christ. Father, I want to pray that they will grasp what you have done for us, Father. And that the reason you have done this is so that we can extend that to other people. So, Father, I want to pray that you will help them realize this. And then after that, that you'll give us the boldness, Father. And the confidence to go out as forgiven people. To walk tall in the authority of Jesus Christ and to share the kindness and the loving goodness of our Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.